welcome to this very special episode of Anime Audio Commentary. I thought that since, at the time of recording, I had been doing this podcast for nearly a year, that I would do something special for the one-year anniversary. Of course, you won't be listening to this episode until a little while later, but I think the point still stands. Without further ado, please get ready to enjoy the end of Evangelion, starting now. Alright, well now that we've got all the production company logos out of the way, we can finally get down to business. I'd also like you to bear in mind that this is uh, the first time I've done anything with an actual film rather than something meant for television broadcast. So, this might be a bit different than you might expect going into it. That said, I'm really digging the visuals right up front. They're very crisp and clear with the destroyed cityscape and the the bleak hospital that everyone always ends up in. Alright, it's been a while since I've watched this film. I didn't recall this particular scene being right in the beginning. So I guess, fairly understandably, Shinji's not exactly uh, in his right frame of mind. I don't blame him for turning to Asuka for, I guess, comfort for want of a better term. But uh, given that she's in a coma, you know, there's not really much she can do. Man, this scene is really uncomfortable, and I think 
what really sells it is all these various still shots and Shinji breathing heavily in the background. I'm dubiously proud to say that I've never been in a situation quite as bad as this, but... Man, that was uncomfortable. So, back on the bridge of the Geofront, the crew... They're, they're talking a little conspiratorially, because they're on high alert despite Kawaru seemingly being the last angel. So, understandably, they're wondering what the big deal is. So meanwhile, we have Misato sort of brooding to herself about everything. She sort of exposits to the audience what's going on. Essentially, humanity are flawed, separate beings, and the only way to advance is to merge them together artificially. So meanwhile, the politics continues between the council at Sile and Gendo. So it seems like Sile is making it pretty clear that they intend to save themselves first, and they claim to want to help everyone else. You know, just they have to help themselves first, but you know, you can never trust shadowy government types like that. They don't mean it. Gendo also gives a slight admission about how his wife Yui is um, residing in Unit 1. I think that's probably as clear as we ever get it. So interestingly, we have a little scene of Shinji, and he frequently listens to that tape recorder. And we normally see a shot of like what track he's listening to and all that, but this time it just shows that the batteries died. Perhaps indicating that things are approaching the end. Meanwhile, Misakta's doing some serious snooping around. And she seems to have discovered the truth behind the second impact, which, of course, sort of undergirds the entire events of the series. So, as if by coincidence, things immediately start to hit the fan. All the communications of the Geofront are being cut. 
It's not clear whether it's actually another angel or what else is going on. Oh, I take that back. It's uh, the other countries pooling their resources to try and take down Nerve. So it seems like, considering China, Germany, and the United States, among others, are all pooling their resources, Japan's in a pretty bad way right now. Of course, given how dire the circumstances are, Gendo has no choice but to rely on Ritsuko again. Despite how unstable she had proven herself to be before. So meanwhile, Misato, she gets a little phone call saying that Essentially, Nerve is, um, they're being uh, commandeered by the government, I guess. So even the Japanese government is turning on them. So at this point, Misato is entirely cynical about what's going on. The other countries are currently just trying to hack the magic computers, but Misato has a pretty well-founded feeling that it's not going to end with just a cyber attack. So they bought themselves some time. But considering it seems like most of the world is arrayed against them, it's only delaying the inevitable. So Seely, seeing that uh, Nerve has gotten the drop on them by activating that firewall... They decide that the only choice is to launch an invasion force, which, based on this scene here, seems like, you know, special ops, like some kind of strike force where they just go in and kill everybody. Considering how they're rolling out all those personnel carriers and tanks and things like that, they really mean to conquer the place. Yeah, no big deal. You know, they just shell the countryside. So at this point, it's really no longer a conflict between angels and humanity. It's just a conflict between humanity and humanity. 
they're really their own worst enemy. You know, they, they've essentially won. They fought off all the angels relatively unscathed. But in the end, that's still not enough to ensure peace. Just like that, the killing starts. The operatives have made their way into... I don't know if you'd call this specifically the Geofront, but like Nerve Territory. And they clearly have no compunctions about killing any and all security they encounter. So just like that, they're hitting hard and fast. Things are not good in the control room. But fortunately, Misato has... I guess a cooler head than most. She recognizes that the Evangelions are probably the best weapon they have, and to ensure they can still use the Evangelions, the pilots need to be safe. So interestingly enough, Ray has gone missing. Uh, naturally, having seen her in this sort of, like, LCL tank before, I guess it's not a total surprise we find her in something similar now. Alright, so now things have really hit the fan. They've gotten Asuka to relative safety, but Shinji's just busy moping and probably doesn't know what's going on. So if something doesn't happen, he's liable to get ventilated by the Black Ops. So, Fyutsuki is taking a more pessimistic look at things. You know, defeat is inevitable. But Gendo seems like, at the very least, he's not giving up. He's going to try and swing things to his benefit. Although, what exactly he plans to do is not yet clear. Well, at least in practical terms. I think it's pretty safe to assume he's going to try and jumpstart instrumentality. So this is a pretty brutal invasion. You know, they're not just using firearms, they're using flamethrowers and things like that. Which, with no first-hand experience, I'd imagine is a pretty horrific weapon to use. But of course, you know, what do they care? This is for the good of humanity, after all. I say that semi-sarcastically, because... You know, I don't think you can ever really achieve something good at the cost of innocent people. 
So Misato is giving him a little bit more advice about how you should just surrender since these guys will kill you. Of course, there's no guarantee that surrendering will preserve their life, but at this point, Misato just wants to try and help out Shinji. So interestingly, the crew of the bridge don't seem especially surprised if this whole invasion were a contingency plan from the very beginning. So it really seems like all the governmental conspiracies were baked in from the start. So it seems like Gendo's finally getting down to business. He's found Ray down deep in the bowels of Central Dogma, I think. Or maybe just the Geofront, where all her clones were destroyed. And he's saying, you know, now's the time to do stuff. Presumably, enact instrumentality. I find it interesting that Ray returned there. Because... You know, she's, she's sort of been inhuman and progressing towards being human. But I'd imagine seeing a bunch of clones of you horrifically mangled wouldn't, uh, well, it wouldn't put my mind at ease, that's for sure. So, interestingly, at this point, you know, Shinji, despite having a gun put to his head, he doesn't so much as flinch or resist. So I think that goes a long way to saying where he's at mentally at this stage in the film. Fortunately for Shinji, Masato's there to haul his ass out of the fire, but... I, I don't imagine that he'd be anything more than near catatonic after everything that's happened. So interestingly, Misato actually gives him a choice about fighting or running away. So she's a bit terse, but I, I guess I kind of understand, given the life or death. You know, like, she's even willing to let him run away. It's just, like, being listless and doing nothing is worse than either of the other two options. So, at the very least, he should do something.
So it's funny they mention N2 mines, because I'm pretty sure that that was one that just got dropped on the lake where... I think is directly over the geofront. So that's not a good thing, and it will probably have the unfortunate side effect of exposing them to the surface. So it seems like no matter what happens, everything just gets worse for all involved. Alright, so Misato's finally giving Shinji the quick rundown of the second impact. It turns out the whole thing was deliberate just to revert Adam to an embryonic state, and the loss of human life was deemed as acceptable. Additionally, the angels are basically humans that reject individuality and all sort of merge together. So, I don't necessarily think dropping all this knowledge on Shinji at this point in time is an especially good idea, considering he was catatonic before, but I'd imagine informing him about what was tantamount to genocide doesn't make him feel any better. Alright, so that, that little talk there, they're basically saying that they don't even want to start redevelopment on this instrumentality project. They want to raise it to the ground that nobody will even, like, touch the area for 20 years. So, to me, that smacks of, um, deliberately irradiating the surrounding area. So meanwhile, Asuka has kind of woken up for the first time. Naturally, she finds herself in Unit 2, which is in the process of being uh, struck by underwater mines. Of course, at this point, she's still sort of suffering through all the issues she had before. She's not really keen on doing anything other than curling up into a ball and sulking.
It seems like Asuka is finally forced to confront some of her issues, especially in regards to her mother, who it seems has been with her the whole time. She's finally realizing that part of her mother has been inside Unit 2. And I guess it's this understanding that finally gives her the resolve to do something. I particularly like this scene where Unit 2 emerges from the water and lifts up the boat and then uses it as a shield against the missiles. Just the way it's animated shows the titanic weight of really everything involved, how it slowly emerges from the water and then hefts the ship like it's almost nothing. Weirdly enough, Asuka almost seems happier now than ever before, even as she's fighting the military off, you know, like, stopping these missiles with her bare hands and, well, I guess the AT field as well. It's this sort of interesting juxtaposition between Asuka being happy and Unit 2 destroying things and being shot at. So, of course, the military knows that the umbilical cable is the Evangelion's weak point. But Asuka, at this point, doesn't really care too much. She's confident she can wipe out all of them in the given time. And to be fair, given the power of an Evangelion, you know, she's not exactly wrong or being overconfident in her assessment. You know, if conventional weapons don't work on angels, why would they work on Evangelions? Alright, so it seems like Celia is now bringing out their secret weapon. Which would of course be mass-produced Evangelions with dummy plugs running them. So they're fully controlled by them. They don't have the inherent instability of a pilot. And they all are descending on Unit 2. Now these things are really, really creepy. They sort of like take the form of birds, they circle around Asuka like vultures. What's worse is that Fyutsuki indicates they've launched all nine that they have completed. And worse still is that they have S2 engines, which you'll recall is something they specifically didn't want Unit 1 to have because it gives it functionally limitless energy. So it seems like Asuka's really got her work cut out for her. Nine opponents with limitless energy while she's on a tight timeline.
So Misato, it almost seems like she's making a bit of a false promise to Asuka, saying that Shinji will be there in Unit 1 as soon as he can. You know, just hang out for now. But given that Shinji's still kind of catatonic, that, you know, doesn't seem too likely, honestly. But Asuka's, like, back to her old self, confident in her own abilities. She seems pretty sure that she can kill all nine of these things in three and a half minutes. Given how she just destroyed the upper skull of one and then tore it in half... That's not an unreasonable stance on her part. So meanwhile, Misato's still sort of escorting Shinji over to Unit 1. But things really aren't going well, you know, the... I think the JSDF is still... going around trying to kill everybody. It seems like Misato took a bullet to the back. So I think at this point, it's pretty obvious that Misato's uh, putting up a front for Shinji's benefit. You know, she, she had been shot, she's bleeding pretty heavily, it's pretty clear her time is limited. So that's why she's sort of sending Shinji off on his own, I think. I think she knows pretty intuitively that if she were to die in front of him, that would really send him over the edge and... Everybody needs him right now. So Shinji is firmly in the wallowing in self-pity portion of the film. So at this point, Misato is trying to like, if not make him feel better, understand that the actions he's taking will only make things worse on all accounts. Now, this is probably the most candid Misato's ever been with Shinji. And probably the most honest she's being with herself about how she is. But at the very least, she seems to be sincerely motivated on attempting to help Shinji not wind up like her.
You know, for all the flack Misato gets, she really does the best in the opportunities she has presented. And I think of all the characters, despite all of her flaws and detriments, she really is the best. You know, because at the very least, she's not malicious like the other adults. And she's not totally unwilling to confront her problems like all the kids are. She's still not perfect, but she probably has the best mix of traits. I guess in the very end, she at least managed to maintain a tough front long enough to encourage Shinji and send him on his way. So it would be a lie to say that this has solved all of Shinji's problems, but at the very least, he now seems to have gained some measure of resolve to try and fix things rather than do nothing and die. So back with Asuka, we're doing that classic Evangelion thing where they show some gratuitous violence and juxtapose it with some very peaceful classical music. You gotta love it. It's just there's this nice, peaceful, slow tempo strings while Asuka tears the arm off one of the mass-produced Evas. Puts it in a chokehold and then snaps its neck. I really like the animation in this scene because it really showcases how titanic everything is. When the Evangelions step, you know, the, the land... The terrain deforms under their feet, and you can see, like, trees being pushed aside. And also just the gravity with which they swing those giant swords. And then when the swords connect, they sort of bounce, and the Evangelions stagger under the recoil. It really is incredible. So back with Gendo and Rei, they've gone down to where Lilith is being held. But as it would turn out, Ritsuko is waiting for them both with a gun. It seems like that whole affair thing isn't uh, sitting too well with her. At least now how things have turned out, given that she realizes she is disposable. As Asuka continues to fight, she's only becoming more and more brutal with how she deals with these mass-produced Evas. Of course, the juxtaposition in Asuka committing violence and Ritsuko, well, just talking for now, 
You know, I'd imagine she feels like committing violence, but... For now, she just wants to talk. Interestingly enough, she seemed prepared to blow the whole thing up, but one of the magic computers, uh, countermanded her order. And to Ritsuko, that's like actually being betrayed by her mother, who's picking Gendo over her. That, that truly is the ultimate betrayal. Like, I'd imagine things couldn't get any worse for Ritsuko had she not immediately been shot and killed. So, interestingly, as Asa continues to slaughter and start ranting while doing so, Shinji's privy to that conversation. So, unfortunately for him, Unit 1 is currently buried in Bakalite. So, now that he wants to do something, there's not much he can do. So, just as Asuka's starting to run out of power, things start to take a turn. One of those swords from before has transformed into a lance of Longinus, and sort of impaled her through the head. Now, interestingly enough, Asuka seems to be bleeding heavily from the face, so it seems that she is synchronized so heavily with the Evangelion that she's sustained a wound to her eye corresponding with the one the Eva took. Now, if that were merely it, that would be bad enough, but it seems like all those mass-produced Evas aren't as dead as Asuka might have liked them to be. You know, one's got its head lolling around on its broken neck, one's got half its brains hanging out, one's missing an arm. None of that really matters, though, because they're all alive and... If not well well enough and they set upon unit 2 like oh my god I forgot how brutal that was they're, they're like birds of prey on a on an animal just tearing it to literal pieces good lord and they pull the entrails out too oh god I forgot how disgusting this was of course, the worst part is Asuka's awake and she can feel all of this. That's probably a face worse than death. Like, Unit 2's had its armor stripped off, it's got organs and flesh hanging about willy-nilly. And it seems like Asuka's making Unit 2 move through sheer force of will alone.
So before Shinji can even really do anything, Asuka seemingly dies a horrible death, getting pinned cushioned by all the lances. Like, the crew of the bridge can't even bring themselves to say what happened, having witnessed it through, I guess, a video feed. So at this point, Unit 1's doing what it always does and is starting to move on its own. And interestingly, it has another one of those cross-shaped explosions. It seems to be much more violent than most everything else that's occurred lately. It almost seems to be flying in wings of light. Alright, so we have like a little bit of an intermission here. Now, as I understand things, this whole approximately 45 minute bit was what was intended to be episode 25, but for budgetary reasons and not wanting to cut material out, you know, that, that couldn't really fit. So that, that sort of, um... You know, it's interesting. They've sort of had to, like, slapdashly fix things together because, you know, episode 25 did happen. But I think the general interpretation is that End of Evangelion is what actually happens. And then episodes 25 and 26, where things get really philosophical, I think that's sort of like what happens within instrumentality, which happens within End of Evangelion. So, like, you almost have to watch them in, like, a weird nested order, where you watch 1 through 24, most of End of Evangelion, 25 and 26, and then the rest of it. Personally, I don't care for convoluted watch orders like that. I'd rather just watch the television broadcast and then End of Evangelion as a capstone. But... You know what, that's that's merely what works best for me. Do what you want, you know? If it enhances your viewing experience, by all means, go wild.
Alright, so now that the first half is over, and all the credits are done, we open up the second half with Gendo and Ray right in front of Lilith. So, oh my god, I forgot about that. Ah, Ray's just decomposing in front of us, her arm just fell right off. Good lord. But Gendo makes it pretty clear that the only way he'll ever see Yui again is to unite Adam and Lilith together. And... In a sense, that means he needs to merge Adam, which is a part of his body, with Lilith, whose soul, I believe, is incarnated in Rey. So now we cut back to Shinji. Um, oh, I guess we're sort of doing that bit where he witnesses it all over again. Just to uh, just to remind everybody the horrible fate that Asuka suffered and that Shinji is very clear about what had happened. And interestingly enough, Unit 1 seems to be reacting poorly to this. You know, it's it's popped off a lot of its armor plating and... The true Lance of Longinus seems to be returning from the moon. So I think this is sort of like the culmination of the Lance of Longinus' purpose. So it, it realized that I guess Unit 1 was close to achieving... I guess, godhood by merging the, the fruit of the tree of life and knowledge, and in doing so becoming a godlike being, the, uh, the Lancelongeus wants to intercede and prevent that. I think that's how it works. So this is more or less what Seely wants, or at least what they think they want. So now, the other mass-produced divas, they just drop the horribly mangled remnants of Asuka, they sort of um, enact a crucifixion on Unit 1, and then they sort of, like, carry it off. So Fusuki realizes that this is Seely here. They want to use Unit 1 for their own version of instrumentality. So it seems like at this point it's really a race of against time between Celia and Gendo enacting their own versions of instrumentality for their own ends. And at least for right now, it seems like Celia's um Celia's beaten Gendo to the punch. Fiutsuki realizes the gravity of the situation. Unit 1's uh, producing an anti-AT field. So naturally, this is, of course, the third impact. Like, th things have hit the fan at this point. There's no turning back now.
So everybody seems kind of blasé about this, or Futsuki at least. You know, this explosion is something they had sort of prepared for, I guess. Alright, so it seems like that explosion like blew a huge chunk out of the earth and reveals the Black Moon, otherwise known as the Egg of Lilith. So that's the thing that essentially produced all of human life, or non-angel life, rather. So speaking of things hitting the fan, Ray has now decided that she's not going to not just going to go along with Gendo. She's going to defy him and do things on her own terms now. And she almost sort of indicates that she's doing this for Shinji if not at his behest. So just like that, the giant figure of Lilith becomes mobile. It tears itself off the cross and... Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, this is the third impact. So, the people on the bridge, they were really not prepared for something like this. Now, interestingly enough, the, the pattern appears blue like an angel, but they're saying it's a human. And indeed, it takes the form of Ray, albeit gigantic. The choral music in the background really lends this sequence like this sense of majesty and divinity, despite all just the inherent creepiness of it all. There's like this, this Lilith creature just sort of like lolls around almost mindlessly and it's got these giant black voids for eyes. I don't blame Shinji for being utterly terrified of it.
So it seems like, based on what they're saying, that they really just want to shatter Shinji's sense of self. Like, that's like the last little thing preventing instrumentality. Of course, given that this is Shinji we're talking about, he's not exactly the most uh, fortified person in the world. It actually doesn't take much more than the visage of Koaru to sort of set things into motion. So back at the bridge, they're just getting all the readings here, what's going on with Shinji. You know, they can tell his ego barrier is weakening. Which, of course, means he loses his sense of self, you know. In a sense, Shinji will cease to exist if his ego barrier drops entirely. So at this point, Shinji seems, like, reasonably contented now that he's entering this weird dreamlike trance. So I guess at this point, this is just sort of like Shinji's first few moments within instrumentality, where as a kid, he's invited to play along with a couple other kids and build a sandcastle. So naturally, the other kids end up leaving, so Shinji's made to play by himself. And I'm wondering if that wasn't significant, how the kids left with their mother, whereas at this point in time, I think Shinji's mom is already dead. Interestingly, the sandcastle Shinji builds is a pyramid, which he then sort of, like, stamps on and destroys... That strikes me as being kind of similar to what he had done with uh, 
the Geofront, which was also a pyramid, and he certainly threatened to destroy it with Unit 1 before. So notably, now that he's destroyed it, he just sort of, well, I mean, cries as he is wont to do, but also sets back to rebuilding it. So at this point, it seems like everybody's memories are now mixing together. Shinji thinks of Asuka, and then Misato. And then Misato remembers the time she spent with Kaji. So I guess Shinji's more of a... Uh, I guess an audience to what's going on. So he's seeing other people's memories within instrumentality while also sort of hearing everybody else's commentary. So Shinji seems to be grappling between the disgust of Misato and what she does, and also wanting to, you know, do it as well. You know, it's a pretty good representation of what it's like to be a teenager, feeling torn between two different extremes. And so at this point, it seems like Shinji's really starting to talk things out with Asuka a bit. And it seems they're really just unloading onto each other. You know, they have all sorts of ammunition with which to confront each other. And neither of them are really holding anything back.
So at this point, Shinji and Asuka are really getting into it. You know, Asuka's dropping some hard truths on Shinji. And whether or not they're actually sinking in at this point is not entirely clear. So Shinji and Asuka sort of reach a conclusion here where I guess at this point they can't get any lower than they already are. You know, they've reached the point of settling their dispute with violence. So we have Shinji sort of talking to Rei briefly about everything so awful that at this point he would rather die and have everyone else die too than continue to live. And he thought instrumentality would be this painless thing where everybody understands each other, but so far it's not really the case. So back in reality... Uh, that anti-AT field from Lilith has begun to expand and it's starting to encompass the Earth. So what Shinji's experiencing in instrumentality is soon going to be what everybody else experiences as well, as their egos dissolve and they lose their sense of self. I gotta say, I really love this song that's playing in the background. It, it's just this nice melancholy song. It almost reminds me of Hey Jude by the Beatles. I'd imagine there was almost a deliberate choice to make it sound like that. So now that instrumentality has begun in earnest... Everybody, you know, be they little more than bodies devoid of life, they're dissolving into LCL fluid and I guess forming a new primordial sea from which life can begin.
Now, I think it's fairly notable here that the way everybody dissolves into LCL is that they are embraced by a loved one. I think that's a neat way of doing it. You know, it it shows something foundational about humanity where the only time in which you truly let all your guards down is around someone you love. And interestingly, we get a bit of um, candid honesty from Gendo here as he talks to Yui and then Kuara about how essentially he thought doing nothing was the best thing because he couldn't hurt anyone that way. Of course, that's not entirely true. His inaction was, in fact, very detrimental to Shinji. But, ultimately, at least he feels some form of remorse for it. Now, this is a really interesting visual sequence where what looks like a vast ocean of blood spreads all across the earth as these little green crosses pop up. It's a very striking image. So, as Shinji delves deeper into instrumentality, you almost have like a bunch of just people talking overlaid, I guess to demonstrate how this sea of souls is merging together in one entity, all the chaos of all these different peoples with their different views. And interestingly, all of the dialogue that's overlapping seems to be people rejecting others or breaking up or things like that. So I guess in a sense it makes sense that Shinji would be hearing stuff like that, seeing as how 
being rejected or unwanted by others is the main problem he faces. So this is where things get a little more bizarre than previously. We're treated to some nice live-action footage of an empty theater, some water, a transmission tower. I guess, if nothing else, to show well the world as it is. The world as it is for us, rather than just the world as it is for the characters. You know, I think Anno's really trying to drive home the point that, you know, you can apply this stuff in your own life. It's not merely entertainment. And there are a lot of similar live-action shots to things we'd seen animated, like that swing swinging in front of the sunlight. There's the large cityscapes, you know, crowds of people, things we've seen before. So Shinji seems to be having a heart-to-heart conversation with Rei, or perhaps more accurately Lilith, about how you can't totally bridge the gap between reality as you understand it and reality as it is. So you sort of have to like idealize things through dreams, but those aren't really real either. Sort of understanding that Everything is not quite a perfect representation, but you have to find the best you can do and deal with it. So ultimately, though it's not explicitly stated, at least not in these terms, Shinji was basically given the choice by Rei, or Lilith more accurately. You know, would you rather 
exist in instrumentality or would you rather exist as individuals? You know, the, the way Lilith is framing it right now, it's almost sort of like, you know, she's telling Shinji, you know, this is what you wanted. Do you still want this? There's still time to back out. So it seems like having talked to Ray and having experienced instrumentality, he's finally come to the conclusion. You know, reality sucked, but instrumentality, instrumentality kind of sucks too, because he doesn't truly exist. So, in a sense, nothing really matters there. And while life might be inherently meaningless, you can at least produce a meaning yourself, which you can't do in instrumentality. So Shinji kind of finally lands upon the crux of things. You know, he does want to see his friends again. Because even if things aren't what they seem, what he felt at the time was real and therefore worth it to him. So that really cinches it, you know, no more instrumentality because Shinji says so. Evil One emerges from... Lilith, rather brutally through the eye. You know, that was pretty gross, but... So the Black Moon shatters and sort of bleeds all the souls back out down to the Earth. Of course, what state the Earth is in now, you know, we don't have a very good indication. It seems likely that it's pretty ruined. So now that instrumentality has been nixed, Lilith just sort of... um starts to fall to pieces. Man, you know earlier on in the series how there were scenes of, like, cleaning up the angels' corpses? 
I'd imagine it's like many, many times worse with Lilith, given how big her corpse is now. So notably, Lilith said something important. Anyone can return from instrumentality as long as they have the capacity to imagine themselves. So that really opens the gateway, doesn't it? If you have like a certain requisite level of willpower, you can will yourself to return to your individual form. So, in a sense, that means only the best in unhumanity can return. Those who have the willpower to exist in spite of all the issues. And given that Shinji has sort of enacted this whole thing, it's essentially a tacit demonstration that he does, in fact, have the will to live. Or rather, he has learned to have the will to live from his experiences within instrumentality. So it seems like for one brief moment, Shinji got the opportunity to talk to his mother in instrumentality. And Shinji admits that, you know, he doesn't know how to be happy in reality still. But even so, he's willing to give it a shot. And I would think, as a mother, that would probably be the best thing you could hear, given the circumstances. You know, you can't protect your kids indefinitely. Well, you can, but it's not good for them. The best thing you can do is equip them to take care of themselves. So in the end, an indeterminate amount of time has passed, but it seems like the world is not doing super great. The oceans are red, although Shinji has notably um, made what seems to be a makeshift grave for Misato. Only now, he's not alone. Asuka has also found it within herself to emerge from the primordial sea of LCL fluid.
Interestingly enough, from that brief glimpse of Asuka we got, she seems to be bandaged up to uh, attempt to mend all those horrific injuries she got. Like, her arm got split down the middle. That's been bandaged together. She looks like she has a bandage over the eye that got gouged out. So it would seem to me that this is the first time Shinji has encountered Asuka in this post-instrumentality world. Interestingly, the first thing he does is start to strangle her. And given what they likely said to each other in instrumentality, I, I don't blame him for that being his first response. He is, after all, only human. But... Rather than do anything to escalate, as one might assume she would, Asuka just sort of caresses the side of his face, and in doing so, he calms down. Now, I think it's just a nice little gesture that sort of lets them know that they've both come to an understanding. Alright, well that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I've had a great time this past year recording many, many episodes, and I appreciate your listenership. I hope to continue doing this for a great long time. See you, Space Cowboy. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I've had a great time this past year recording many, many episodes, and I appreciate your listenership. I hope to continue doing this for a great long time.